Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1 and 2. This is our key verse for the series. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, listen to this answer. No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So if that happened in those days, then I know that can be true today, that some people don't even know that there's a Holy Spirit. Yeah, I heard about this Holy Spirit, but I don't really know what he does. And so it could be true today that some people just don't know. They just don't understand the Holy Spirit. And so today I want to help you not give you my perspective, not give you my understanding or try to convince you of our Savior's church's way of dealing with the Holy Spirit. That's not what I want to do. I want to show you in Scripture very plain and very clear what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And that's what this series is about. So I want to take four weeks and spend it on the Holy Spirit. Next week we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and how sometimes that can even be confusing. So Pentecost, what's Pentecost? What's the big deal about Pentecost? Pentecost is an event. It was simply a day. It was was actually a holiday. In the Jewish calendar, there's three major holidays that the Jews celebrate, three major ones. There's some other minor ones, but there's three major ones. The first one being Passover, the second one being Pentecost, and the third one being the celebration of tabernacles. And so I want to unpack those real quick for you. The first one is is Passover. Before I get into that one, let me give you Matthew 5, 17, because you've got to understand something, that Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to demolish the law, but to fill it. Matthew 5, 17 says, Don't, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, watch this, but to fulfill them. So Jesus came to fulfill the laws that were written in the Old Testament. It's making sense? So I'm going to show you a, a parallel of what happened in the Old Testament and how it happened in the New Testament, how God's got this kind of a symmetrical thing about him. And so I want you to see that. So the first one is the, is the festival or the celebration of Passover. Uh, it, was, it was a celebration uh, of when the nation of Israel actually came out of captivity. They were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They got to Egypt because of a famine. You remember the story of Joseph in the coat of many colors, and he ended up in Egypt, and there he was able to, God showed him a vision, and he was able to rescue thousands of people because God gave him a plan on how to store food. And and so the nation of Israel actually came into Egypt because of a famine to be rescued. But while they were there, Pharaoh realized these brothers can work, And he starts putting them into slavery. And so for 400 years, they're in slavery, building pyramids and all the Egyptian things you see. (laughs) But then God has enough of that. And God says, it's time. He hears their cry. He says, it's time for them to come out. And so God sends a man. He sends Moses to him. And he tells Moses to go to Pharaoh. Tell tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. God says, let them go. Pharaoh says, no. And so God begins to allow plagues to happen to the, to the nation of Egypt, and, and there was actually 10 plagues altogether. But the 10th plague, because Pharaoh would never listen to God and let God's people go, the 10th plague was actually the plague that the firstborn son of every family would lose his life. So God told Moses, he said, I want you to go and tell all the, the, the Israelites to, to kill a lamb, kill the best lamb, take the blood from the lamb, and put it on the doorpost of their house, And then go inside at dark and do not come out. 
Because tonight the death angel is going to pass, and whatever house does not have the blood on it, he's going to go in there and he's going to smite or basically kill the firstborn son of every household. So the, the Israelites killed the lamb, and they, they took the blood, and they put it on their doorpost. And that night, the death angel came, and, and he killed all the firstborn males of every household that didn't have the blood on the doorpost. And so the celebration became known as the celebration of Passover because it was the night that the death angel passed over their house and went somewhere else because of the blood. So it's a it's, it's pretty cool story. It's a pretty cool understanding because in the Old Testament, the Passover lamb was sacrificed at 9 o'clock in the morning. 9 o'clock that morning, they took the lamb and they sacrificed the lamb. The lamb went into the oven at 3 o'clock that afternoon. This is all historical facts. And the sacrifice that they, that they put on the door covered their sins. You need to pay attention to that. So you flip to the New Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus comes to fulfill the Passover. Jesus was put on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. He was put in the grave at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And when he came out of the grave, his blood removed our sins. It didn't cover our sins. It actually removed our sins from us. Is this making sense? You see how you see the parallel there, how Jesus came to fulfill the law. So the, the Passover celebration, celebration of salvation. That's what they're really celebrating is that this was when salvation came to us. And so when the Jews celebrate Passover, they're really celebrating salvation. Now, salvation is free for us. Salvation is basically me just agreeing or actually believing in my heart and confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the grave. I am then saved. That salvation comes to me. I don't earn it. I can't be good enough for it. Salvation was given to me. You clicking with me this morning? It was given to me. I couldn't earn it. My works can't accomplish salvation. Jesus accomplished salvation Period. I can never be good enough to earn heaven. This is making sense because you got to get this because salvation cannot be worked for. It cannot. It was a gift to us. And it's important to know that and understand that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. How? By grace through faith. It's the grace of God that I get eternity in heaven. Because <laughs> look at me. I want everybody to look at me. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But there must be something about me that makes it worth it. Right? And so I can't earn it. I'm not, I'm not qualified. I can't be good enough. It is by grace that I've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Remember that. Not by works. So that no one can boast. You see, you got you to know this in your heart. That you're saved because of Jesus' grace. And because of your faith. Not because of your works. You see, I grew up in a church that it was all about works. And if you were good enough, you could get in. So I lived my life disappointed because I was never good enough. And I'm still not good enough today. Come on, somebody. You could have said amen. I'm the preacher, but that's okay. <laughs> it's not too loud. 
Yeah, I know you, sucker. You <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All I have to do is surrender my life. God made the way for us. The second celebration is the, or the second holiday is the holiday called Pentecost. And some people are afraid of that word. They're kind of apprehensive about that word because they've heard it in some weird ways. But let me, let me unpack the word Pentecost for you this morning. The word Pentecost literally means this. Penta means the number five. Cost means the number to the tenth power. It means that number to the tenth power. So watch this. Here's the spookiness of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. means 50 oh my gosh so you hear people say things oh it's about pentecost and you got to have a pentecost this and a pentecost that and they build it up like it's something supernatural and special it means 50 it's a holiday you clicking with me it's a holiday it means 50. Well, what does the word, what does the number 50 represent? 50 represents 50 days after Christ ascended out of the grave. After he, was, after he rose from the grave, it was 50 days later that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. So when the Passover happened and, and, the, and the nation of Israel was allowed to leave Egypt, 50 days later, there was a day, the first day of Pentecost. 50 days. So 50 days, they're in the desert. Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God like he always does because he would go and meet with God. God would tell him what to say. He would go down and he would tell the people, and that's how he led the people. So that day, the day of Pentecost, Moses goes up on the mountain, and the Bible says that a cloud came down over that mountain, and there was a loud noise and fire. So I want you to understand something. The Holy Spirit isn't weird, and he isn't kooky. But he can be loud, and he can get your attention. Pentecost, the cloud comes over the mountain. Moses is up on the mountain getting instructions from God. God's writing the laws, his laws, on stone tablets. Moses is up there too long. The people of Israel are down there at the bottom of the mountain getting restless, and they begin to make false gods and and worship some crazy things. And then all of a sudden, Moses comes down, and that day, 3,000 people die because they rejected God. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus uh, comes out of the grave, and he takes 40 days to spend time with his people in his glorified body. In other words, that's when you read stories where he would go through walls and stuff. I mean, it it was really cool. (laughs) <laughs> he was in his glorified body. In other words, he didn't need the doorknob. Come on, somebody. I'm believing that for when we get to heaven. I just walk through the wall. If I'm going to run into the chair, I'm just going to walk through it, right? And I stub my toe. Come on. <laughs> 40 days after Jesus comes out of the grave, he spends 40 days with his people, giving them final instructions and showing them that he's real and helping them to understand who he is. And then he, he makes this statement to them that he says he says this he says you need to go and you need to wait in jerusalem for the holy spirit to come all right it picked this up in chapter acts chapter 1 verse 3 to 5 it says after his suffering he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of god On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, watch this, but wait 
For the gift my father promised, say gift, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized, or John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something for all my Baptist people. There are two baptisms. You got to get this. This was hard for me. There's two baptisms. There's baptism in water, and then there's baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they're different. One is, the, is for the repentance of sin, and the other one is to get endued or to get given this power from the Holy Spirit. Make sense? So Jesus tells them to go and wait. So 40 days, Jesus ascends into heaven. They watch him go up on the cloud. Bye. Right? He ascends. Ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in. You remember the story, Acts chapter 2. They're in the upper room praying, waiting like God told them to wait. You know it's important to wait. When God says to wait, you need to wait. I can't help but think if they didn't wait but nine days, what would have happened? He said to wait for 10 days for the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus came out of the grave. And the Holy Spirit came in. And watch this. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came in. They heard the sound of a rushing, mighty wind. It was loud. Don't be afraid of that. It was loud. The Bible says that there was tongues of fire that began to to land on every person and they begin to speak in other languages, languages that they weren't even prepared to speak in. In fact, it was so loud and it was so kind of rambunctious that there was a festival going on outside and people who were from different tribes and nations heard people, heard the disciples speaking in their language and it was so loud and so rambunctious that they began to come and form a crowd around the place that they were staying in. You remember the story? And then they start saying, man, these cats is drunk already. (laughs) And what happens? Peter comes out. He goes, man, listen, we're not drunk. I hadn't even had a sip yet. (laughs) It's only 10. (laughs) Come on, somebody. (laughs) We don't start till at least 11. No, I'm joking. (laughs) He says only 10. And then what happens? Peter starts preaching the gospel because he's now empowered. He's been endued with power. He's been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this power is now on him. And he begins to preach the gospel because, you see, in the Old Testament, God wrote his law on, the, on stone tablets. But, but in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He puts God's law in your heart. And there's a major difference between it being on a tablet and it being in your heart. And Peter begins to preach this gospel very bold and very courageously, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And instead of 3,000 people dying that day, like what happened in the Old Testament, 3,000 people were saved that day. So I want you to understand something. I don't believe the Holy Spirit is weird and I don't believe he's kooky. I do know this much. When I read my Bible, he can be a little different sometimes. You see, because I want him to be like this. I want to set the parameters for the Holy Spirit to my, according to my comfort. But the Holy Spirit can be loud. And the Holy Spirit can, like we talked about last week, can be unpredictable. And you're going to have to decide that you're going to be okay with that. Is this making sense? 
So don't ever try to find yourself, or don't ever let yourself be, be found trying to put the Holy Spirit in a box. He don't like boxes. <laughs> he don't like boxes. So that was the festival of Pentecost. Verse 8 actually says this. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So watch this. Passover represents salvation and all of us need to be saved. It's your first step is to give my life to Jesus and to guarantee my eternity in heaven and to have my sins washed away. That's salvation. We all need that. We have to have that. But it was never intended for us to stop at salvation. If that was the case, the Holy Spirit would never have to come. And and Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, wouldn't even be written in the Bible. You see, God has a job for us to do. Salvation has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with the grace of God. But God has a job for you to do that. Watch this. You're not qualified for. You don't have the skills to pay the bills. (laughs) You don't have the wisdom to do it on your own. He says, power will come upon you and then you will be witnesses to me. God has a job for every one of us to do. It's called the works. And I'm sorry if somebody taught you that works were bad, but I want to say this. Works are bad if you're trying to earn salvation, but works are good if you're trying to do what God wants you to do. Amen? So don't be afraid of works because, you see, the church got a little lazy a couple years back because everybody said, oh, no, you can't work for salvation. Everybody said, oh, really? I don't have to work no more? Hello? Oh, I don't have to do anything. I just, sweet Jesus is mine. I'm going to ride this thing out, live like I want, and I'm going to go to heaven when it's all over with. God has work for us to do. And his spirit is going to empower us to do that work. It's the kind of work you can't do in your own strength and your own wisdom. Making sense? So Pentecost is power to make a difference. Jesus needs to empower his church to do something that they can't do on their own. The third festival is the Festival of Tabernacles. There were three major ones. The third one is the Festival of Tabernacles, and it happened during the fall season around harvest time. And it has everything to do with harvest. It happened in the harvest time. So the first festival was right around the Easter time, spring time. And then 50 days later was the Festival of Pentecost. But then they waited all the way until the harvest season in the fall And they celebrated the the festival called Tabernacles. And what they were celebrating was that God promised that there was going to be a promised land for them to to come into. Because ever since they left Egypt, they were kind of mobile. They were were in campers, (laughs) they wish. They were in tents. And they had camels and they lived and moved all the time. And even the presence of God was in a box that they, they carried with them all the time. But, but the festival of tabernacles was when they celebrated when they got into the promised land. It's about the promised land. It was during the harvest season. And I want you to know something today that in the New Testament, that festival means this, that we're living in a temporary earth suit. This thing's only temporary. Can I get an amen? It means it is, it's not built to last. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, you got an expiration date. You get off that bluebell, you might gain a couple more days. <laughs> hey, I just want to say we had bluebell at my house last night, and I didn't eat none. 
Now, there may be some left today, but <coughs> you brag when you can. Tabernacles. In the New Testament, we're living in a temporary earth suit. But here's the thing. There's a promised land for us. Do you know that there's a promised land coming? It's, it's literally a land flowing with milk and honey. It's called eternity with Christ. And, and, and we're in a harvest season right now. You know, more people have been saved from the year 2000 to 2017 than, than were ever saved before the year 2000. There's more people being saved today than there ever has been in history. We're in a harvest season. Pastor, what you're saying, is God coming back? Maybe so. I know this much. We're officially 20 minutes closer than we were before we started church. Right? I'm not trying to scare you. I'm really just trying to prepare you. I'm trying to get you ready and get your expectations for heaven, for eternity. Because Jesus is coming back. In fact, the Bible says it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive are left and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Watch this. We get to take the same ride Jesus did. Come on, somebody. They watched him ascend into heaven in a cloud. We get to do the same thing. We, we get to ascend into heaven one day. The Bible says that the dead, those that are already dead, you know, your mama and your papa and all them, they're going to come up if they were saved. And they're going to come up and they're going to ascend into heaven. And then the Bible says we're going to join them. You looking forward to that day? I'm like, man, come on. Especially right now. We're about to hit August. I mean, we get like raptured before August. That would be sweet. <laughs> right? I mean, like, anyway. <laughs> so the tabernacles represent the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. We got to understand it because God has three major holidays that he wants to be a part of our life. You see, he wants you to celebrate Passover. He wants you to celebrate salvation. We celebrate when people get saved. I'm so fired up for those two teenagers that got saved at camp. I'm just going, man, praise God. Take that devil. Come on. We, we need to celebrate Passover salvation, right? We need to celebrate Pentecost when we get empowered. Not only were those teenagers saved, they were filled with the Holy Spirit that day. They were given power. So much power that one of them said, I got to go forgive some people. Hello. That's power. Because we don't want to do that on our own. And then we need to celebrate the second coming of Christ. You see, I believe most Christians understand salvation or they know that there's a salvation and they understand that one day there's going to be a heaven. But I think a lot of us are confused on what happens right now. And that's what I want to help you with today is what do we do right now? What do we do in between salvation and the second coming of Christ? What should we be doing? You should be living a powerful life. A power-filled life. Not a just old, an old, I'm saved, praise God, glory be. Waiting on Jesus to come back, trying not to do anything wrong. Come on. 
I got to be good till he comes back. Got to make sure I keep my spot. That's not a power-filled life. (laughs) Right after the Holy Spirit came down in the New Testament, the people stood there in verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. It says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this whole Holy Spirit thing mean? And I hope that some of you are asking that question today. What does this mean? What is pastor trying to say? I'm trying to tell you that there's something beyond salvation. That salvation in all of its glory and salvation in all of its splendor and how we celebrate Passover. I want you to know something that there is a Pentecost celebration coming and it's when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you need to know that and you need to be aware of that and you need to receive that. Come on. You need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit just like they did in the book of Acts. So the Holy Spirit wants to empower you in three ways. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit empowers me to live righteously. He empowers me to live righteously. You see, on the day of Pentecost, God went from writing his laws on stone tablets and he began to put them in our heart. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he starts to convict you of sin. I said convict, not condemn. He comes to to tell you, hey, you don't need to do that anymore. Hey, you need to quit doing that. You need to do this instead. That thing that you did, let me show you something. It just hurt that person. You don't need to you don't need to say that anymore. You don't need to go there anymore. You follow me? It's on our heart. It's called conviction. Because see, here's the thing. When I got saved and I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I started feeling different. I started I started responding different because this thing was in my heart. It was, it was like the Holy Spirit was in me and on me, and, and he would help me. So, so when I would sin, it, it, it actually felt worse than it ever did before because the law was written on my heart. Are you seeing this? It was in my heart. In other words, it was there, and nobody had to beat me with the Bible. It was already there. I felt like I went further than I should have. I felt like I broke God's heart. And that's the way I feel today when I sin. I feel like, man, I just disappointed God. I just, I just broke his heart. I just misrepresented him. It, it's, it's different. He empowers us to live righteously. I remember before I was filled with the Holy Spirit how I used to live. I used to live by studying this book and straining all day long to make myself do what it says. It was hard. You've heard me share this story about me and my best friend trying to quit cussing. We were youth pastors at the Baptist church and we, we knew it was a, we needed to quit cussing. <laughs> and so we made a pact and we said, you listen, if you hear me cuss, you can punch me as hard as you can. And I was like, okay. I said, sounds good to me. Let's stop right there. He goes, no, 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 no. If I hear you cuss, I get to punch you. I was like, all right. So for one solid week, we beat the hell out of each other. But listen to me, hell came back. <laughs> and we, we tried to do it in our own natural strength. I tried to be good in my own natural. I knew this word. I was memorizing it. I was taking care of it. But I was, it was hard. I was trying to apply it. And it was work. And it was due to something. And it was, it was, is it making sense? 
But man, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, it went from work to pleasure. It's pleasure not to be who I used to be. It's a joy to get up in the morning and read this word and to pray and to spend time with God. It's not due to some, it's not work, it's not hard anymore. Come on, somebody. The presence of God is there. The Holy Spirit's upon me. Is this making sense? It's because he's empowering me to live righteously. Now, I've got to listen to him. Because <laughs> you see, the old flesh wants to rise up. There's a whole lot of this flesh. And it wants to rise up. And when temptation comes, he goes, oh, I've got to have me some of that. And the Holy Spirit goes, oh, no, you don't. I still make the choice. You're right. Thank you for that. Appreciate you saving me from that one. Making sense? Holy Spirit empowers me to live righteously. Romans 8 9 says that you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. Watch this, it's conditional. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you don't have to live according to the flesh anymore. If the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. You see, Isaiah prophesied this to us years ago in chapter Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. He said, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Watch this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you start to hear his voice. It's just like that little girl at camp. Daniel's trying to help her understand that she can hear God, and she already did. And what did the Holy Spirit say to her? You need to go and forgive this person. You see, it's been prophesied to us that when we're filled with the Spirit of God, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us. I want you to understand something. That's for everybody. Everybody has been given the right to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. But some of you don't believe that. You're having a hard time with that. If it wouldn't be for the voice of the Holy Spirit, Cheryl and myself and my family wouldn't even be in Eunice, Louisiana right now. If it wouldn't be for the Holy Spirit saying to me when I was trying to take a nap, driving back to Franklin... And Cheryl was driving. I was trying to take a nap, and the Holy Spirit said, go find Bubba, ask him what he needs, and help him. I'm like, do what? Go find Bubba, ask him. That, that simple phrase has changed my life. It's changed my family. Two weeks later, we packed our bags and moved this way because the Holy Spirit said to do it. And it is one decision in my life that I will never regret. Because I get to do life with you. We didn't even know each other. You might have a skinny pastor with hair. <laughs> Wouldn't be nearly as good as me. Come on. Preach, preacher. Skinny pastor. He might have skinny jeans on, too. I mean, like, like come on. I'm going to quit right there. So number one, the Holy Spirit empowers me to live righteously. I'm trying to be righteous. (laughs) 
Number two, the Holy Spirit empowers me to live supernaturally. Oh, you got to get this one because let me tell you something. If you're content living naturally, then you come to the wrong church at the wrong time. You just soon get up and leave because you don't need the Holy Spirit if you want to live naturally. If you want to live your life doing only what you can do and be content with that, then you don't need the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he empowers you to live supernaturally. In other words, you live beyond yourself and your capabilities and your wisdom and your own understanding. You live beyond yourself. He wants us to live supernaturally everywhere we go. I need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to raise my kids. I need it to to love my wife. I need it for this church. I need it for this community. When I run into people in town and they're suffering or they're hurting with something, I need some supernatural, something beyond my natural ability to help me understand that that person's hurting. And then the Holy Spirit will give me a word of encouragement and I can encourage them and pray for them. When they felt alone and desperate to live supernaturally, to see the sick get healed, To see the brokenhearted get mended. To see the addicted and those in bondage get delivered and set free. That's supernatural. That's beyond my natural ability. I tried to beat people out of addiction. It don't work. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live supernaturally. You got to understand that there's something beyond what you can do. You see, when I came to, to... to the conclusion that I needed the Holy Spirit in my walk with Christ, it was because there was something inside of me that said, Jamie, there's more. There's more. Praise God for salvation, but son, there's more. There was a hunger inside of me that said, there's something more. It's got to be more than this. Listen to me, your relationship with God needs to be more than Sunday morning church. It needs to be powerful. It needs to be supernatural. Every day. Then we got to get this. It's every day. For too long, the church has put the Holy Spirit in the church on Sundays or special nights. It's not just for here. The Holy Spirit's for out there. That's what happened with the disciples. They came out of the the prayer room. And Peter preached the gospel. And 3,000 people that were never saved before were now saved. And the church was birthed that day. And then it just kept growing and multiplying and multi- listen this church should never stop growing we should be looking for more property saying lord we got to expand this thing not so that we can build more buildings so that we can make more room for celebrating together when you have more kids you need a bigger house we're not living in the depression we're not jamming them up in one room But nothing's going to change until we understand that, until we start to live that way. Until you start to have an expectation that, you know what, there's something more than what I know. There's something more than what I've already experienced. There's, there's a deeper walk with Christ. There's a, there's a supernatural thing that needs to happen in my life. And I pray that you get hungry for that. You see, Acts chapter 10 says this, that, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Those words seem to go together all the time. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil 
for God was with him. Jesus Christ himself anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. What did he do? He went around doing good. Is there any other way I can get this across? I mean, have I beat the horse dead? Your, your, your works are to go out of the church and do good. We serve in the church and we have a, a system here that we, we teach kids and we escort people in to make it an, environment, an inviting environment for people to come and experience the presence of God. But listen to me, it goes beyond this. It goes into your workplace. It goes to the gym. The Holy Spirit goes to the gym. He goes to McDonald's. He goes to Walmart. (laughs) Even if they're rolling back prices and lying about it. Jesus went around doing good and healing all those who were pressed. When's the last time you prayed for somebody to be healed? When was the last time you had an opportunity to pray for somebody to be healed, but you didn't take it? Why didn't you take it? If you felt like you wasn't good enough to take it, then you was trying to heal them in your own power and your own strength. But if you realize that it's the power of God working through me, that when I pray for someone, even with a headache, he still heals headaches. Hello. Lord, I pray you heal this headache. When's the last time you stepped out? The last time somebody works says, man, my marriage is a wreck. Looks like it's all going to end. When's the last time you prayed for them? You laid your hands on them. You'll never know the power of God until you reach out and attempt to use it. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5 says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, watch this, but on God's power. God wants you to demonstrate. Demonstrate. Think about the vacuum cleaner person that came to your house and stayed way too long trying to convince you to buy that vacuum cleaner. They were what? Demonstrating the power of the vacuum cleaner. I don't know where this point came from, but I remember the, the, thermo, the Thermax guy came there and I was like, get out of my house. I'm not for the demonstration. But he wants us to demonstrate the power, not show it off, but demonstrate it. You don't go buy a new car without driving it. Right? Demonstration. I guarantee you, if you say, Lord, I want to demonstrate your power in my life, will you give me a chance tomorrow? I dare you to pray that. And then watch what happens to you tomorrow. You're going to run smack dab into an opportunity, and you're going to be going, uh, uh, um, okay. Ask him, see what happens. Making sense? It's a demonstration. The Holy Spirit's power can be demonstrated in your marriage, in your body, in your addictions, in every situation. Number three, the Holy Spirit empowers me to live on mission. God's called us to feed the hungry, to plant more churches, to reach out to a lost and dying community, 
People were posting on Facebook last night. Two guys been trying to break into cars. They're giving rewards for, for people to, man, if you know these guys, I'll give you $2,000 to tell me who they are, blah, blah, blah. People are afraid, and they're, they're not living on mission, though. But when, but when the church gets on mission, even our, our community will start to change. I said when the church gets on mission, even the community will start to change. Even the cops will go, man, something happened. We're called to live on mission. We're called to reach our neighbors. You see, this is how it works. You reach your household first. You make sure that your household is where it's supposed to be. That means your wife or your husband and your kids, and you get your household in order. Then you begin to reach out to your neighbors, the people living around you. And if they don't like it, they can move. (laughs) In fact, if you don't like your neighbors, go preach the gospel to them. They just might move. Stupid, I bet. I know. She gave me that. You shouldn't have said that. Look, it happens all the time. But then from from your neighborhood, it goes into your workplace. Come on, somebody. And then it goes into the marketplace where you run into these little kids who have no direction in their life. And you get involved in something that gives life to people where you reach out to them and you help them. Right. That's how the power of God lives on mission that's how the holy spirit empowers us to live on mission we don't exist for ourselves we exist for the world first thessalonians 1 5 says this our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the holy spirit and with deep conviction You see, the Holy Spirit wants us to live on mission. He wants us to be courageous. He wants us to be bold. He wants us to walk in faith. He wants us to have spiritual strength. And to never be afraid to tell somebody about Jesus and to never be afraid to lay hands on somebody and pray for them to be healed and to never be afraid to give them something that you have. Right? I guarantee if you empty your wallet helping somebody, God will fill it back up. The only way you stop the flow is when you stop giving. You want to experience God at a whole new level? Start living for, for other people. Start living on mission for other people. Let your mission become your neighbors, your workplace, the marketplace. And watch what God does. Amen? But in all of this, I want to kind of end it with this one little warning. To some of you that have been filled with the Holy Spirit for a little while, be careful not to let spiritual pride rise up in you. Because you see, sometimes I've seen people that get filled with the Holy Spirit and they start to get a little prideful about the people that haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we're not careful, we can make people feel like less. We can make them feel like, well, they must be spiritual elitist or something because they pray in tongues and I don't. You got to be careful with that. Amen. Pride has caused disunity in the body of Christ for too long. People get the Holy Spirit and they make other people feel less. Listen to this statement. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. It doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will never cause pride in you. 
In fact, he will cause the opposite. He'll cause humility in you. 